It is the first ever live streamed event on Netflix with Chris Rock. Yes, that's the big deal. And they had this, I, I think they could have done without having a pre-show and a post-show. Uh, it felt like there was a bunch of comedians that were fans and could not wait. It was at, um, you know, at a comedy uh, club in, in, in L.A., uh, and I was like, all right, can we, uh, you know, get to the point? Because uh, they showed it. It was like, let's check into the theater with Jeff Ross performing, doing a, you know, a pre-show uh, set. And I'm like, no, 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 don't cut away. Don't go back. Don't go back to the, uh, uh, to the pre-show. But yes, the people were uh, watching Jeff Ross in the theater, but no one remote was able to watch it and the pre-show and the post-show were not part of the the recorded version so no one knows what uh Jeff Ross said other than the and then the 30 seconds that was seen during the pre-show yeah there was like a good 45 minutes maybe was it that long of just like pre-show stuff constantly cutting to different people they did include it yeah I guess was it actually phony though in terms of stand no I mean, if you're like promoting, hey, Chris Rock is going to do a brand new stand-up, but here's like 45 minutes of just like random people trying to be funny, you're just going to skip it because you're here for Chris Rock. What did you think of Chris of the Chris Rock special? I'm not, I don't think I'm the target audience of Chris Rock, particularly when he uses the N-word multiple times. That's a little bit much for me. Um, after the, the fifth time, I, I get it. Um, but I thought his points, uh, about obsessing about the Kardashians, mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I always find myself comparing, uh, doing the comparison of why is R. Kelly worse than Michael Jackson? And he put that out there, like, it's okay to play the Michael Jackson music, but it's not okay. It's a, it's, it should be illegal according to certain people to even think about playing R. Kelly's music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had some good stuff on, like, uh, woke culture, especially from, like, the corporate standpoint and, you know, that kind of selective activism. Um, oh, yes. The story about his daughter getting, him getting his daughter, like, kicked out of school was interesting. And then, like, the Will Smith thing, which I guess everybody was kind of waiting for. It was funny, but he also came across like pretty mad. But I think that's just his delivery. His delivery is yelling. I'm, I might watch it just to hear what he has to say about the Will Smith. I don't know what he's mad about. He's getting the most publicity he's had in like years for that. Yeah. But also, uh, one at uh, what I thought is that if you go back a year ago, I don't think anyone would have thought that Chris Rock would be having a comedy special on Netflix. And as an outcome to what happened at the Academy Awards, he has a, a he. Everyone was waiting to hear what Chris Rock had to say because what he was going to say was at the comedy special. Yeah, he's been silent. He hasn't. He didn't do like any interviews after the Academy Awards or anything. And also, Academy Awards and the Oscars are next week, so it's going to be like a full year. So it had it did feel a little old, but. What helped that, I guess, was like we hadn't heard from him. So 
Yeah, he was probably that's smart. He was probably holding off till he got like a deal or something to talk about it. He wasn't even talking about it. I don't think at any of his uh, in person shows. Pedro, check it out. It's like the last ten minutes or so of the special. In the nineties, I still feel like that was his peak. Yeah, he was like the biggest name in stand up. I don't think I've seen anything, any stand up from Chris Rock that isn't funny that I didn't like. They're all they're all pretty good to me. So I guess I'll check this one out too. Yeah, check it out. I think it's worth it. And I'm sure both of you watched the Independent Spirit Awards on Saturday. It was streaming on YouTube. I think I'm sure I'm the, I was the only one that was watching. I wanted to, but I had guests over, so I didn't get to watch that. It was actually, uh, it was, it, 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 they made a joke, which it used to be on IFC. So how bad is it that the independent film channel didn't even want to have the independent spirit awards? And they Why, made is, it, why is it not on IFC anymore? Because they'd rather have had a, uh, a Will Ferrell movie instead. Is this the first year that it's not on IFC? Correct. It's been on IFC for, for quite a long time. The viewership is probably way down. And do they get like any actual, like what's the talent that kind of goes to that? Is it the A, is it the A list? It's yeah, it's probably the A list. Um, they had because independent films is it they have to be at a certain um, maximum amount of budget. So Tar right. was featured, um, and many many other films because of their. It's also a way to promote films that are not, you know, blockbusters. Nowadays, the movies that are getting Academy Award nominations are independent films, sure. and they're getting and they're getting the the platform. Uh, so it's it's quite surprising if uh, you know if you if you watch it that you go, oh wait, this is um, a lot of the films that are carried over. There's not as many big box office films anymore. Who won the best picture there? Everything, everywhere, all at once. That was winning just about every uh, in the film category, pretty much. I'll probably I'll probably uh, watch that tonight. I'm interested in in uh, the Spirit Awards. And then I also watched a documentary that was on CNN, but it's a, it's a co-production uh, for HBO Max. It was about H what happened to HQ trivia. Which is oh it's yeah, a, it's that game show app that everyone, uh, quite a few people would, you know, at twelve or three o'clock in the afternoon, they would drop everything and whip out their phones and go, "Let me try to be a Jeopardy." Wow, I like re- I remember that, like oh, yeah. the one month that, was like that it was eighteen. Okay. Yes, two thousand eighteen. Around that was the peak to uh, two thousand twenty. Yeah, I think it was like you get an alert. At, I think it was three o'clock the game would start and then it's sort of like elimination if you get it wrong and then if you make it to the final round I guess you win money I don't remember how it was the the, the documentary went over how the both the um, the co-founders who also co-founded vine they co-founded vine and before vine was launched Twitter purchased it so it Twitter wound up shutting down Vine because they weren't meeting their 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 various viewing targets. So in doing so, it shut down, 
And then uh, the two co-founders created, because they essentially were employees of Twitter. And then they created uh, HQ Trivia, but it was found by all the, em the employees that they interviewed that neither one of them were getting along and they were constantly butting heads. And one of the co-founders was butting heads with the uh, the comedian who was the host. His name was also happened to be Scott. Yeah, they re ended up replacing him. And then shortly after that, the app kind of disappeared. They kind of just make documentaries about everything now. It's like, hey, remember that one guy that was famous on the internet for doing something? There's a documentary about that guy. I I thought I enjoyed it. I thought it was worth it. And you got to know the background because really there was a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes drama that you didn't know by getting excited to watch uh, Scott do the game in a, literally in a closet. Pedro, what have you been watching, man? Uh, speaking about random documentaries, I started watching uh, that Jared from Subway documentary yesterday. Oh, shit. You can waste any time. I think it just premiered like uh, on Sunday or Monday, but it was live on the ID channel. I was channel surfing and okay. checked it out for a bit. Uh, not that good. I got like three fourths of the way into the first episode and just stopped. It's <laughs> it's a made-for-TV style documentary. A lot of like shots are repeated. A lot of commercial breaks. I just I didn't get into it. So, Investigative Discovery Channel doesn't have a big Getty budget, though. Yeah, and you yeah, can tell. I guess they don't have any big budget because you would assume they'll just go out and shoot this stuff. They're just churning out a ton of content. Like they have tons of documentaries and just shows and everything seems like they have premieres like every 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 week now so yeah i was gonna watch that documentary to pedro but the trailer did look a little a little uh like network tv yeah ish so i wasn't really feeling it i also realized like i don't care about this dude yeah passed on that i've been kind of dry for for stuff to watch um, I'm still keeping up with The Last of Us every week. Um, I took a pause on Hello Tomorrow, but I'm definitely going to get back into that little world. I think I'm five episodes in. Um, I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. I'm sure I have. I didn't take any notes this week. Um, but I guess we can go into sort of like the main topics um, of the week because the last thing I saw was the consultant on Amazon. Oh, I will make a little bit of a note. One of the reasons that I haven't been watching anything is because I've been living in a bit of a vacuum where my wife decided to binge all of Breaking Bad. So she's just taking over the TV. And um, I've been curious enough to like rewatch some of the episodes with her. What season is she? She finished it this weekend. Um, and immediately went into Better Call Saul. Like, she's already three episodes in. You got to go to Better Call Saul right after that. That's how I'll make it. Uh, so we're going to do a go in, you know, head first into Better Call Saul. But um, when I'm not sort of couch surfing with her on that, um, I did find some time to watch The Consultant. It was only 30, 30 minutes each episode, more or less. Um but I wasn't really feeling it. I know you guys 
were. So I'm going to, or you guys at least watched it. So I'll let you guys sort of kick off the conversation. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a really curious viewer. So that, that pilot episode had so many questions, so like cliffhanger, so many things unanswered that I just went straight into like autoplay with the next one. And I just kept it going, man. I watched like the whole series in like two days, I think. Wow. And it was just me trying to like get answers, you know? Uh, but yeah, the pilot episode was just so weird and that I, I just had to keep watching the, the 20 to 30 minute episodes also made it like easily digestible. Yeah, I, to that point, I kind of like, you know, I was watching it with, you know, two screens, so watching it and then going on my phone and just checking Twitter or playing a game for two seconds. And before you know it, you miss 20 minutes and um, you're kind of off a little bit. Um, I watched two and a half episodes, I think, and I was immediately, like, when, when when the founder of the company got murdered by a six-year-old kid named Tokyo, I was out. I think I was out. Um, oh, see, that or, was the twist. That, that was the twist that got me interested. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a hook. And I guess at that point, you're either in or out. I stayed around a little bit, um, but I just felt like the two main characters, Elaine and I can't remember the guy, the the, other, the guy's name. But I just felt like, okay, your boss passed away. He was murdered. Um, and you're still, like, clinging out to this job. Like, just get another job. Like, your new boss is really weird, right? Because there's a scene where he calls her at 3 a.m. And he's like, hey, can you come in a little early? She's like, yeah, I'll be in at 8. He's like, no, can you come in now? And then she's like, no, I'm sleeping. He hangs up. And then 10 seconds later, he calls her back. And he just has the same exact conversation. And then she just goes to work. Like, that's a huge red flag, and I would have been out. I would take your severance and, and peace out. So there's a there's just a too many of those little red flags where I just couldn't really follow these characters on their journey because, I, I don't know, I have a hard time sort of suspending my belief, suspending my disbelief, I don't know the, the turn of phrase, um, in those kind of moments. But then I try to like figure out, just like go on Wikipedia and read like how this thing ended, just because I was curious and uh, I couldn't really figure find the ending. Scott, you watched it. What's your what's your take? I think this is a dramatized version of what it could be, what it's you know from our experience, what it's like to work at a startup. You feel like your 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 life is pretty much committed to your job. And he shows as a consultant, you know, they don't know what he's capable of, who he is, what he's doing, why he's there. Everyone is flipping out. No idea what he's what what he's capable was made of. So everyone is not sure. Uh, so at the very beginning, they're like, "What is what? What is this? What is going on?" Because no one ever you know knew what was happening. And he sort of the character, uh, you know, Christoph Waltz. His character, without even forcing anyone to do anything, 
you know, based on him prompting certain employees on the show, they were doing things they never even thought they would find themselves doing. And give us an example. Well, uh, an example as there's a, you know, I don't want to give it away, but if, you know, give as far it away. As, fine, we'll do it live. Now, as far as, uh, you know, Christoph, his character, uh, being the consultant of Conware, uh, was, you know, saying that the, the, the one character that was acting as like the second in command kind of like, and originally to the original CEO, she was like the assistant, but she was yep. playing this, you know, paving this way for herself that she was saying, I don't want your office. I'm fine where I'm sitting. And, and he, uh, you know, Christoph Waltz character, you can, you know, you can get whatever you want. You just have to, uh, you know, take the step to, to make it happen. So while all these employees were fighting for this one office and, you know, literally fighting to get this person out, like banging her in the window, she just goes to this one guy, like, um, you know, he was frightened. It's like, you know, uh, to help you, I don't want people to be writing me. Just, I'll protect your, your office. And then the next morning she made it her own office. So like at one point she's like, oh, I don't want to do it. But then with the consultant's character, like going, well, you know, he nudged her. Yeah. Nudged with, and that's pretty much what his character was doing, nudging everyone to go to the extreme. But it, we, you don't know if you're in that situation, your mind is, you know, you're not fully aware. I have of, two other, other nitpicks. Small go, ones. Shoot, go. Okay. There's this one dude that smells and he's like going around smelling everybody trying to find out who, where the smell's okay. coming from. He smells this guy and then he gets him fired. And then there's like two women outside his office crying saying they fired Gil and they say like, you know, Gil can't survive on his own or something. And I'm like, hmm. I what, what, like, what do you mean by that? Like, he can't survive on he like he can't survive out there and that really didn't really go anywhere i don't know why they that was kind of a throwaway line but i thought it could have been something and then this guy his name is not gail i just made that up but he ends up going to the consultant's office the new boss strips naked and then proceeds to wash his body with like a sponge and a bucket of dirty water in this guy's office Right, And I don't think they ever, he keeps his job, and I don't think they ever sort of go back to that or explain that. I was just really confused. And I don't no, know. There's, there's a couple of things in the show that I think were just inserted there for shock value that didn't really get an explanation or lead to anything. Like, all right, you know, this guy, the problem was the guy smelled all right, you could have left and at that, you know, he changed, maybe he went home, showered, came back, but why he had to do it in the office, you know, there was, there for shock value, I would say. Well, in order for him it, to keep his job, he had to change, uh, you know, not, you know, not to get fired to continue being in the office. It was much easier, I guess, to sponge yourself in a random glass, you know, yeah, it just, it just, it go- made- it made it made things more weird, which yes, is yes. which is one another thing that I liked about the show. It made you uncomfortable. It added these this weirdness to it. 
And it just made you hate the Regis Padoff character even more. Yeah. Um, there's also that weird scene where he, like, the former CEO is, like, aggressively blowing him. I was like... Yeah, I thought that was, again, another thing that was just there for shock value. That's what, I, that's what I mean. He was doing... People were, you know, doing things that they probably wouldn't think they would. Yeah, he had some... He was kind of like a... He had some kind of spell on people. I, I kind of guess... Uh, it was kind he of looking at that. Pedro, how did it end? What what was what was this what was the deal behind this dude and what happened to to the characters? So there were there wasn't they didn't really give a definite explanation to this character's uh background, where he came from or anything like that. Uh basically just ended with uh him moving on one day uh to another company, another CEO at another company writing the same contract he did with uh the compware uh ceo and then you know sort of it sort of ends on a cliffhanger but you know he that ceo that next ceo dies and you know he's gonna take over and do the same thing over there so season but, two would be him i don't think it's gonna be a, i don't even think there's a season two unless i mean it I don't. I don't see why there would be a season two. I think that ending just shows that this is what he does. Like that's his gig. Well, as part of season two, you'll... this wasn't a one-off that he just went to this one company to do. And this is like a repeated he's... pattern. But... Yeah, it's a, this is, from... he's an actual consultant. That's like actually what he does. Yeah, and you'll get to. I think you'll get to know more about this character because we don't know why he does this. We know we saw a little. Beyond what you know, a little bit of like what he does, which is more even odder that it was a club, and then the club just randomly disappears. <laughs> in, in, in one episode, they go to this club on this you know high floor, and then uh, he had the uh, one of the characters that that he went with him. He, they had to change clothes into something a more fancier outfit, and then he goes back. He got his clothes, and he came up, and the room was like a corporate office. It wasn't like a club anymore. The next day, so there's that mystery. Well, it hasn't been renewed for season two. That doesn't mean that it won't be renewed for season two. But if you guys feel like this is just like a kind of a one-off thing, um, I think it is. I would give it. An, I would. I would give it a season two. But it, it's 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 only it's it's eight episodes, and it only premiered on February twenty fourth. Okay. I've been out in the world that much, maybe for 13, 14 days when we're recording this, so they'll, you know what, they'll hire a few consultants to decide. Yeah, and I think, like, to Pedro's point, like, the series is very digestible. You can probably knock it out in, like, two or three sittings. I There was one thing I didn't get was the uh, whole thing with the golden skeleton that he was making, like, you know, like, what what was the reasoning behind that? Did he change his own skeleton into gold? Is that why his foot was so heavy that he couldn't go up the stairs? Oh, yeah. Like, what was the purpose of that? You need a season two to explain it. There you go. There's your season two, Pedro. Those unanswerable questions that are burning. Well, we know one person that will be watching. No, I won't be watching, but I, I, might, just, I might just read the, the summary. There you go. 
I mean, I don't think I would. I, I don't think I would watch a season two either. Um, just because, other than finding out more about this guy's background, how else are you going to fill up the twenty, thirty minutes of each episode? You know, are we, he's gonna. Are we going to see him run a buck and destroy this this other company and break it down too? Like we already saw that in season one. I don't need to see it. See that done again. I think you might have like the Elaine and the other guy maybe sort of follow him and, you know, try to take him down or I don't even know. Maybe they died in the end. I don't know. But that's something. It was weird. And like I said, the pilot was it was a great pilot episode. Um, And Christoph Waltz, great acting by him, too. But everyone else, every other character and everyone else's acting other than him was like, it wasn't anything to write home about. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have, like, the strongest supporting cast around him. Most of those guys I, I've never seen before. But as, as someone who's worked at startups and at multiple office settings, just the, the way the characters talked amongst each other and, like, the office culture that, was, that you got from it was... Yeah, I agree 100%. It felt I, I, very much... It felt it felt real, you know? It felt like... Yeah. Could, like That's why stuff. I was like, just get another job because all these startups are the same if you're, like, industry-wise. Like, do you work for a gaming company? Just go to another well, one. Rob's exactly the same. Oh, some of the characters had their reasons to stay. Like, Elaine, she gave herself that position, right, in the company, and she kept saying that she just needed, like, to put on her resume, like, a couple more months as being under that title in order for her to get a like a higher paying job with that same uh, title or a higher title somewhere else. So that's why she was sticking around. Some of the other people are just like, you know, if you've been in an office setting, you know, there's people that just don't want to leave or just can't leave or just can't feel like they can't find something better. So they just stick around through all the ups and downs and stuff. It also, it felt like a show to me that exists in a bubble like they exist separate from the real world right like there's a scene where he's he calls a meeting and he's like if everyone is not here within an hour you're all fired and someone's like hey can he do that and like obviously he can do that but it it just feels like they're very much in a bubble um the outside world is never really never really comes in to sort of interfere with with what's going on when with all the strangeness that everyone's sort of encountering like they wake up like in the first episode i think or maybe the second episode like the guy he can't sleep he's like home playing xbox he can't sleep and he's like i'm gonna go for a run and then he just runs to the office and it's like i sort of think they have nothing else going on they just it's just work and that's it yeah, that, that kind of added like a bit of a science fiction element to it. There, there's like so so many genres involved in this. Like it was a dark comedy. It had some science fiction. It had a uh, thriller in it. It had some horror. It had all those things. Until um, so, yeah. there was a scene where they mentioned they were in Los Angeles. I assumed that it was just like a fictional city. Okay. Um, I didn't because. The office setting itself was really cool, right? The stairs with the lighting and all the big screens in the main lobby, um, the glass sort of second level floor, the 
that was a really cool space to have uh, all of this sort of drama go on. Um, it and the office, their office is, it's the majority of the environment throughout the series. They don't, nothing much happens outside of it. So the fact that they decided to reveal that it was Los Angeles wasn't even necessary. It could have just been, like you said, some fictional, like, tech hub city you know where these yeah. tech startups are are located at the viewer would you know could just put imagine like what what type of city it is it didn't really need to be los angeles it was based off a book though because when i started streaming it the first episode that I, I saw the first uh couple episodes on my laptop and uh on the amazon app like a pop-up came up on the corner to uh purchase the book Oh yeah, I did read that it was it was based on a novel, a series. I think it's based on a series. Yes. No, there's the definitely two, room for more story. I guess the two people that are well known that I know of in the show are Christoph Waltz and Nat Wolf, which we should all know from the Naked Brothers bit from Nickelodeon. I don't know her from there. I know her from um, season one of The White Lotus. Yeah, I only seen the first episode of that show, and I knew she looked familiar. Nat Wolf, I think that's her. No, Nat Wolf, Nat Wolf is a... Oh, is Nat a, Wolf is a dude. Yes. The guy, okay. So she's Brittany O'Grady, right? Yeah. All right, I'll try to intro this. We're going to talk about Tar. Um, very uh, highly claimed movie with Kate Blanchett. But we haven't seen the movie Tar in a while, Scott. You probably saw it. I haven't seen it in over a month, Scott. You probably saw it when you got your screeners even before that. And I know Pedro, you probably haven't seen it in a few weeks either. But Pedro, you insisted that we discuss it because it, it does warrant a little conversation. Um, so I'm going to put that responsibility on you to kick us off, buddy. First thing that comes to mind is just really, really great and superb, superb acting. Um, I hadn't seen a movie like that in a, in a long time. I jumped into it without just on, based on Scott's suggestion. Um, and the fact that it was nominated, that it is nominated for one of the, uh, films of the year. And yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a movie like that in a while. Just everything just hit the right buttons for me. Did you watch it once? Or did you I watch only it? watched. No, I only watched it once. Um, I felt like I I didn't need to watch it again after that because I was just sucked into it. Um, that first scene where she was having the conversation, uh, sitting across from that that other guy for uh, yeah. what seems to be like a the interview. Yeah, sort of like an interview for an award show or like presentation or something. I thought I was not going to get past that first scene. I was like, I picked up the remote a couple times thinking I was going to stop it or just not watch it. Um, I, I was scared that it was going to be like all talk and dialogue like that and just stuff, something I couldn't follow. Um, but I'll admit I fast forwarded through that scene to the second scene um 
and then it just picked up from there. I feel like every scene, every shot after that was just like building up and building up this build up. And when it got to the scene where she's just, uh, I guess, teaching her class, that's when I really got uh, got interested in it. At, like, really got invested in it. Just seeing the dynamics of who this person is, who this character is, what her opinions are, and like, you see all that when she's teaching the class and just singling out this one student and sort of how they're clashing. So, yeah. I thought there was interesting dialogue there. I still didn't know at that point like what what direction the movie was going in, but I was just interested in the life of this, you know, this woman who lives this kind of like highbrow uh, lifestyle and is an acclaimed genius you know by so many people around her and that it took that turn later on in the movie where you know it turns out that she was being problematic uh with uh some people that she was uh involved with and it talks a lot about the uh current uh culture that's going on right now in the media and sort of uh demonizing people and stuff like that but yeah, like the movie just kept going. You kind of like more, more is getting revealed, and then you find out that she isn't exactly who she said she was. She was actually grew up as the complete opposite of this this persona that she's displaying to everyone, and this lifestyle that she's that she's leading. And I just thought that was a that was a a, a nice little twist there. Yeah, there's always a lot going on. She's obviously like a wealthy, powerful figure. And I think the movie, you know, I think particularly the audience for this movie in those two conversations that you mentioned, first is the interview where she kind of, you know, she she goes against this idea that she had an up, uphill battle because she's a woman. And she's like, no, I think like women have as much opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of people might, lean into that and then like her confrontation with her student who refused to play Bach I think it was because he was a problematic um, person and she's like well she basically just put like music is the only thing that matters like their flaws as human beings shouldn't shouldn't be taken into account if you want to be the best I think people who watch this movie will probably agree with that sentiment, most of them. But then the movie kind of does a good ta- a good job of, you know, presenting her as a powerful person who abuses her power. And that's also something that's like been in the mainstream cultural conversation is like all of these industries, whether it's, you know, culinary with chefs being problematic or the music industry with executives being problematic. This just presents this industry that no one really mainstream doesn't really look at, which is yeah. um, music comp- composition. Yeah, like music composition at its highest level. So you don't know though who's who in that world. Nobody really does. Um, but yeah, seeing her sort of abuse her power first when it's hinted at that there's woman who uh, she has 
basically like turned the whole industry against and blackballed her, ultimately kills herself. And that person or that, her knowing that kind of begins to, I don't know. I think she goes to like, she's having a bit of a mental breakdown with like these kind of, she starts hearing things. She starts seeing things. She starts becoming increasingly paranoid. Sometimes you don't know if she if she's dreaming or if she's awake. Uh, the movie kind of starts getting going down this weird path, um, and then you see it when she pretty much gets you know I don't know this guy's title, but she gets that guy in, in I think in Berlin to quit his job so she can replace him with someone that you know she's falling in love with or she has a crush on. So she's extremely manipulative and ultimately destructive and ends up getting canceled, I guess. Um, and you see her, her sort of downfall, which we've all seen that kind of downfall in, in played out on Twitter and in the media. It was, in, it was interesting um, that it touched up on just the fact that as long as a person is put in a position of power, they have the ability to take advantage of other people. And the fact that they showed it as a woman doing that was, uh, you know, it was it was eye opening because you don't really think about that. It's always, you know, a, a guy taking advantage of a woman at work or something. But it just goes to show you that it could be anyone put in a position of power. It doesn't have to do with gender or anything. Yeah, and that inner, the sort of that inner paranoia that you described that starts building up throughout the movie that's again i've mentioned this before but that those are the things that really draw me into movies and shows mm -hmm. and then it starts getting a little obscure like there was a shot when she was in her apartment in berlin but like you kind of saw like a figure in the back by the curtains that was kind of like a little easter egg thing yeah you know like oh who moved her stuff around in her office was it the little girl but the little girl wasn't there and like, you know, it just, it adds suspense and, and that just, that kept drawing me in. I also forgot to mention that although that first scene took me out of it, I did think that the credits rolling in the beginning were really interesting and that piqued my curiosity before it dropped with that first scene. Um, only movie I think that's ever shown the cast, like the technical cast credit before the actors' names and the uh, and the and the director and producers and I read online that that was done as you know just like an homage uh, sort of like to the people who aren't in a position of power to put them first and elevate them first. I thought that was that was really interesting. Yes, I thought the movie was very creative and also uh, very advanced. I think more of it led to the editing. Then, because uh, there was a lot of special effects and back and forth uh, with flashbacks. But really, in the moments, I find that a director is how to capture something in the moment, not like, let's figure it out in post. And there were so many scenes. The scene that I think you mentioned, um, Pedro, that are burnout, when she was in the performance space with her students, it took me a minute to go, wait a second, this has been a continuous shot. Let me go back and see, let me go back to see, she started out on the stage, then she came down, then she sat down, and then 
she winds up getting up close to, you know, back to the stage. And that's where I wait a second. And then she then had her student was in playing the piano. And then she went to sit down and the camera was then focusing on the student. You know, that was a lot of directing that went on. I didn't, I never catch this when I'm watching something, uh, especially when I'm really engaged. I, I rarely pay attention to the editing or directing. That's something I usually get on my second viewing. So that tracking shot that you mentioned, I didn't even notice that. Um, but I think maybe on a second viewing, I, I picked those details up. Um, I think that just speaks to how well that scene is written and constructed. Um, but speaking of which, if you want to see it again, you can watch it on Peacock. Yeah, that's where I saw it the first time. Um, I actually watched it in two sittings because it's two and a half hours or so. Um, but I started watching it late and I finished it the following night. I loved it. It reminded me a little bit of Black Swan. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, just the, the world. It's like this high art world, but then there's this really dark shadow weighing heavy on it. Since it was an orchestra, it reminded me of Mozart and the jungle that's on it, which was on for like five seasons, which was a story about an orchestra that was based in New York City and the dynamic around it, but it wasn't focused specifically on the conductor. Are they going to do Tar 2? If they do, I hope it's not tar <laughs> What did you think, and we're, we're at time here, I want to just wrap it up. I just want to know what you guys thought of the ending when uh, basically it's revealed that she's conducting the orchestra for a um, World of Warcraft or one of those kind of like JRP, you know, open world games and the entire audience is sitting there with cosplay on. Yeah, I didn't expect that. <laughs> Did not expect that one bit. Started from the bottom. Well, that was what that was what she did when she uh, got canceled and went over there, right? Yeah, at the end, she was working in the Philippines, I think. Yeah, and you didn't know what she was working on or how big the budget of it was because it seemed like it was, you know, compared to what she's done before. It was very different and very low budget. But then that, that audience shot at the end, like you said. Yeah, that audience shot is just like... Because, yeah, you don't know what she's doing, but you're like, okay, she's back. Obviously, she's not where she was, but she's like sort of back yeah, on the bride. You see that she's, yeah, she's starting from the bottom. And she seems really invested. You know, she's there's that exterior shot where she's like in a, out, in an outside cafe, just like really going over her, you know, her score, the notes or whatever. Like, she's really invested. The way she talks to the orchestra uh, is no different than the way she talked to the orchestra in Berlin and, or New York. Uh, but then you see, like, you know, wide shot of where she actually is. And it, it I don't know, I, I can't speak it, but I, I imagine that's a pretty big fall for her. Yeah, I mean, it was the fear of going back to Staten Island. Yeah, that <laughs> reality of that home and her brother and that life. All right, we'll end it there. And I think um, given the slate of content coming out, I think we're going to have some some good stuff to watch um, for the next few weeks. Keep you guys posted, and we'll see you next time.